If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell's saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Clarity the truth. Yeah, we all need those things and we need them in our lives perpetually. And how do you do that? Well, you start every day by being open to listen and to examine things that you hear on every important level in your life. Doesn't matter what it is. You need to make sure when you make choices, you're making the right choices based on the right things. Make sure that you don't fly by the city of your pants and just roll through a day and just, hey, I see this, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to run over here. I'm going to buy that. That's flying by the seat of your pants. No thought going into what you do. No thought going into what you say. No thought going into what you're going to believe. Good morning, everybody. Here we roll another week, Christmas month. I'm already ready for Christmas. I like the peace that goes along with this time of year. And I like to sing. I like pretty songs, especially Christmas carols, songs that have become a big part everyday living through the Christmas month, Christmas time. I just like that. My wife, Marianne, many of you know her, her favorite Christmas album has been for many, many years, The Carpenters. The Carpenters, Karen and Richard Carpenter. Karen Carpenter, probably one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Pretty darn good drummer in her own right, too. Died an untimely death. She was dealing with food problems. And she got caught up in trying to lose weight, and it just pushed her to the brink of death, and death won that. But we have a lot of good memories of the Carpenters and Karen. And this Christmas album... This is from that Christmas album. Karen and Richard Carpenter, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Christmas future is far away. Christmas past is past. Christmas present is here today. Let your heart be light From now on our troubles will be outside Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the
four-part harmony has been around for a long time, a hundred years or so, but throughout the 20th century, we didn't hear much of that four-part harmony. And I'll never forget, I was in New Orleans, Louisiana, 1970, was riding in a van in, in downtown New Orleans. I remember the very time I first heard, close to you, remember that first big hit of the Carpenters? and that four-part harmony, and it set me on fire. What happened is America just rediscovered good music, good-sounding songs with that fourth part of normal um, harmony. We always had three-part harmony, but you can throw that major sixth note in. And if you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. But it is gorgeous and they did such a great job. I hate when we lost them. Just think about if Karen was still alive, what the Carpenters would be doing now. They'd be older than me, but they'd probably still be around, and one thing that for sure they would be doing is music. So let me get you set for today's show. We have a bucket full of things to cover. And, of course, it's Tuesday That means Steve Baker will join us in the second hour. He asked me what I wanted him to participate in with me on his segment of the show today. And I'm going to read you the text I sent back to him. I want to begin that segment with the weaponization of rape perfected by Hamas and go from there asking all of the obvious questions. And of course, also, 
we need to go and find the latest on the Biden impeachment inquiry, which we're ramping up for now. It looks like there's going to be some type of actual stuff that happens. I don't know where it's going to emit from, certainly out of the House of Representatives, but what they are going after specifically. And of course, you know this. Every day we get more information that is making it look really tough for the President of the United States. Let me just give you my opinion. The overall, let's pull back up to about the, not the 30,000-foot level, but the 10,000-foot level so we can still see the ground, but we can also see what's going on around what's directly below us. You know what I'm talking about. I can't see a scenario in which this president is even going to be able to mount any kind of a run for re-election. His obvious decline that is changing and getting worse and worse every day, it's so obvious to all of us that watch and listen to him when he speaks. I can't see a way he's going to be able to juggle the balls in the air that are necessary to, first of all, be a president, but secondly, to get involved in this impeachment thing, that it will consume him if he is still in office when this thing gets underway. And I can't see a formal, full-blown impeachment process happening until after the first of the year, maybe even mid-year. Too many moving parts that got to be pulled all together. Meantime, obviously, more and more things keep coming up that make it look really bad not just for Hunter Biden. No, no, no. House Oversight Committee and the various subcommittees there, they're far past looking at Hunter Biden. It's now firmly on Joe Biden. And there's no question in my mind, a mountain of illegal activity has occurred in the past and may still even be occurring daily today while Joe is president. He has so many people that cover for him. This is what you call a syndicate. You know, we kind of humorously, when all this began to go and it implicated or it looked very much like it was going to implicate everybody in the Biden family, we came up with the term the Biden family syndicate. And that's exactly what it's turning out to be. So far implicated are Jim Biden, um, Jim Biden's wife, Hunter Biden, his ex, also, I can't, I can't just turn my back and walk away from this without knowing somehow Jill Biden had to know what was going on because money was coming to their personal accounts directly. And now that's been proven. It seems as if every day something new comes out that implicates the president in more wrongdoing. And we're not talking about pointing fingers and making wild allegations like they did twice. They being the Democrats when they tried to impeach and try Donald Trump and have him removed from office. Even though the second impeachment process, he was already out of office. That, my friends, is chasing a rabbit. Nobody's chasing a rabbit now. The rabbit has become a bear And it's standing there looking us in the eye saying, try me, try me. Thankfully, we finally have some people on the House 
of representative, the very commi- various committees that are involved in this that are saying, we're going to push forward and we're not going to stop until we get the facts. Isn't it interesting? If this thing just stopped right now, this is something that just popped into my head as I was mentioning this to you. The best that the Biden family can hope for is to only be implicated legally for massive IRS fraud. The stuff, the dollars and cents that we already know, they have the account balances, the sources of the funds. They went to Joe Biden, and it was income. There's no documentation that shows up that it wasn't income. Same thing for Hunter. There's going to be some massive investigations by the IRS. And I don't think even if Donald Trump or some other aggressive Republican doesn't win the election next year, I don't think this is going to just blow away like a mist. There's too much out there that has been proven. No, it hadn't been proven in court yet, but we haven't got there. But we've seen mountains of evidence, not hearsay, facts, evidence. And still these people are tiptoeing around. We'll get into this deeper next hour with Steve Baker, but let me just point something out. If they are so clean and innocent, and this is plaguing this president and a bunch of other Democrats, for that matter, the ones that have been by his side defending him, absolutely telling the same kind of stories to the American public, if this is not disproven, there's going to be a bunch of people with mud on their face. We're in the middle of an election cycle for president. So here's where I was going with my thought. If they're so clean and pure and innocent, you know what? It wouldn't take more than a couple of hours to them to come forward and lay the facts on the table, the evidence on the table, present it to the members of Congress that are applicable, do it behind closed doors, protect them. I get that and understand that. But let the evidence prove that they didn't break the law. The answer to why they won't is very simple. They can't. They're implicated. They're up to their eyeballs, no longer in allegations, but in evidence. This is going to be a good second hour today when Steve gets here at 10 o'clock. So don't go anywhere. One of the other things we're going to talk about is the rape that seems to have been normalized around the world against women of every yoke. Hamas, we're finding out every day. We're watching videos. I watched a video that made me sick at my stomach. A woman, as she was dying in Gaza, they being Hamas terrorist, took turns raping her. And the last guy that raped her decapitated her with a garden hoe. We saw that. And everybody on the left is just turning their back to it. But there's one person on the left that has come forward and taken this on. And it shocked the snot out of me when I heard her say it. I never would have thought in my lifetime 
that I would find one thing that I could agree with with Hillary Clinton. She went nuts yesterday. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton added her voice to this cry against Tomas's use of rape as a weapon of war. Since the October 7th terror attack on Israel, Democrat reps Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Ilhan Omar, Minnesota, only bolstered use of the term Hamas caucus with the positions they and their colleagues have taken regarding the jihadist actions. On Sunday, you heard this yesterday on this show, Representative Pramia Jayapal heaped on with her balanced take, balanced take, on outrages against Palestinians, a point that Clinton herself seemed to directly oppose yesterday when she spoke to the United Nations. Now, it was a remote appearance for the session about sexual and gender-based violence. And here's the way the conversation went. Quote, as you well know, many women and girls were attacked brutally by Hamas October 7th, and they have testified to the gender-based violence that they both experienced and witnessed. Hillary speaking to the United Nations. As a global community, we must respond to weaponized sexual violence wherever it happens with absolute condemnation. There can be no justification and no excuses. Rape as a weapon of war is a crime against humanity. That was Hillary Clinton speaking yesterday. So in the second hour, Steve and I are going to ask and hopefully we'll be able to answer the logical questions about this and about what is happening in the United States today as it pertains to women. Now, wait a minute, Dan. You and Steve Baker, y'all aren't qualified to talk about issues that are regarding women. Well, you don't have to be somebody to understand at least the majority of the things those people are dealing with in their lives, unless you're blind and stupid and deaf and dumb. Let me let me just jump on this real quickly. I want you to listen to Ilhan Omar herself. Now, if you don't know who she is, she's a member of Congress. She is a, a immigrant, legal immigrant from Somalia. Somalia is one of the most evil two people, especially two women countries on the planet. They think nothing about slaughtering thousands of their own citizens for whatever reason or reasons they want at that particular moment. And rape as a weapon is rampant in Somalia, where she's from. Got to give her credit. She immigrated legally to the United States, and she's serving in one of the highest elective bodies in government in the U.S., the United States House of Representatives. But listen to her logics, and she can't understand something. And I want you to listen closely to what she said. 
there are people who seem to be upset that there are rabbis asking for ceasefire. It's bizarre because you would assume that if you are a religious leader, if you are a faith leader, that your number one priority would be to look into your faith, into the teachings of your faith, and to say, I oppose violence. She's absolutely vile and a Hamas apologist. Also, I don't know that these are actual rabbis standing behind her. Could you talk a little bit about her commentary? Whilst we do believe in peace, we also truly and totally believe in as a commandment in the ability to defend ourselves against any enemy that comes to kill us. The lack of education is just totally and completely obvious. So to go ahead and pretend like the rabbis of the world are out there, you know, calling for a ceasefire, which is really a different way of saying allowing Hamas to kill more Israelis is just, it's just bizarre and it's stupid. I can't believe that a human being that is logic, using logic, educated, especially seeing the evil bellies of certain parts of the world like Ilhan Hamas has lived through herself. She saw all this happen. There's no telling what happened to her when she was still young in Somalia. Knowing all of that, and also knowing this person is Muslim, this person understands what the Palestinian people are going through today, what they've been going through, how they have allowed certain parts of their population to go terrorist, jihadist, They know all this better than we do, but why would anybody that is reasonable, that is for freedom, justice, and liberty, and equal treatment under every law on the planet, why would she come out and go postal negative against anybody on earth that thinks Israel's retaliation against Hamas for slaughtering barbarically a minimum of 1,200 Israeli people during the night of October 7th. October 7th, 1,200 Israelis were slaughtered. Not because they were bad people, but because they were Jews. And this U.S. lawmaker is coming out griping, trying to make it okay to just do what they do, and we should let them, and we certainly, especially these Israelis, because they're following, Jewish people are following the Jewish law, God's law, the Ten Commandments. You remember that? That's the law that God gave to his own people many, many, many years ago. Thou shalt not kill. I'd like to point out to everybody that's listening today, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, when people slaughtered Israeli people, weren't Israeli people at times, they were the Jewish people, God's chosen people. He sent his son to be born as a Jew, to a Jewish mother and father, and to live as a Jew, and to die as a Jew. Lots of places in the Bible. It's very eloquently stated and circumstances that were enshrined in history. Quid pro quo 
was used often when it was attacks, unwarranted attacks against God's people. Now, let me ask you a question. You live maybe in a bad part of a town, whatever city, town you live in. And you know there are things that you don't do in your part of the town, the city, especially things like getting off the streets when the sun goes down or before the sun goes down. All the obvious things to protect yourself and your family members. And still, some guy down the street, he acts like a thug, he looks like a thug, and very suspiciously is always roaming around the streets of your part of town, and you don't trust him. He's got some other friends that hang out with him all the time, and suddenly we hear this group of thugs went into one subdivision in that town, and they shot, raped a few women, shot some, Everybody knows that they did it. And when they get picked up before their trial, one of them says, we're going to keep on doing this. And sure enough, one of the group didn't get charged or got charged and wasn't held, but was released on his own cognizance or bail or whatever before the, the trial. And the guy that the leader of this, the thug I told you about, he's in jail waiting for his trial. Somebody in the media is talking to him, and he says in the media, we're going to keep on doing this. Our people are going to keep on doing this till every person we hate is eliminated. And in support of this group of thugs, around town, other people started getting killed. And getting killed in the name of this guy and his syndicate or group or whatever, How are the people, the peaceful people in that town, how are they supposed to act? Just turn the other head, turn the other way? No, you don't do that. If they tell you, somebody tells you they're going to keep on killing you and people like you, your family members, until you're eliminated from earth, what can you do? There's only one thing that you have that you can do other than just lay down and let them slaughter you. And that's to get rid of them, to eliminate them. Well, that's not a Christian thing to do. I beg to differ. God is into and always has been in protecting a group of people, family, multiple families, people that live in a small town, a big town, a large city, Numerous stories in the Old Testament because of the law. Thou shalt not kill. It doesn't say thou shalt not defend those who come after you and killed you and your family members. It's insane to not stop it. I have problems when we just let illegal activity grow and grow and grow without regard from those who we hired or elected to handle that part of our lives. Law enforcement, you obey the rules or there's a price to pay. Then if you don't obey the rules, now what we do, especially in these big cities where George Soros funded district attorneys and 
city and state attorneys just decide arbitrarily, we're not going to enforce the laws that this person broke. We're going to slap him on the hand and put him back on the street so he can reoffend. Look what's happening at our southern border. How many of those 8 million Joe Biden welcomed in illegal immigrants, how many of the 8 million came into this country with some evil in their background? If you compare that 8 million to just 400 million, 400 million, not 400 million, 400,000, I'm sorry, 400,000 illegals came into Texas. And it could have been more, it could have been less than the 400,000 that came in that I'm referencing because these could have been multiple offenders. But based on illegal immigrants that over a two-year period came into Texas alone, 400,000 felony acts were committed against Texas residents by those people. 400,000. If your kid grows up and when they get to be about five or six years old, they see other kids acting out, maybe in convenience stores or grocery stores, or maybe going around the neighborhood seeing something that they liked, they stole it from whatever person or persons in your neighborhood had it, or at the store they decide they want a candy bar and they don't have money for it. They just stick it in their pocket. If you don't hold those people accountable, what are they going to do? Reoffend. Reoffend. Remember, the reason and the justification they had to do it the first time, unless that is changed when they get the knowledge they're going to be held accountable for doing it over and over again, if that's the choice they make, they're just going to keep trucking on. But if they're stopped and forced to face the punishment for what they're doing, they're going to stop doing it eventually. If, if, the cost and the penalties are upheld by those who are supposed to do that. When Steve gets here, we'll we'll just launch right in. First thing, we'll launch into this weaponization of rape. It seems to be becoming more and more prevalent across the globe. We're hearing it happening over and over and over. But the sad part is we're not hearing much from the other side of that about damning it and telling our lawmakers, you guys have got to stop turning your back on any and every lawbreaker and hold them accountable or we're going to turn into West Somalia, because the same thing is going on there and has been for generations. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? 
It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I know he's back on doing a show on, used to be um, Twitter. Now it's X. I can't find a smooth way to say it. I, I, I watched as a bunch of media outlets when this happened. They began to say, you can read this on X, formerly known as Twitter, but it's hard for me not to call them tweets. Anyway, Tucker's back there, but you got to be uh, careful watching, making sure you don't miss any of it, and it's happening at different times of the day. I'm uncomfortable with that. I used to know exactly what time Tucker was going to come on every night. But anyway, Tucker, yesterday, he went crazy. He took out a flamethrower and used it on climate czar John Kerry, after his remarks at this climate change summit that happened in Dubai over the weekend. A self-proclaimed militant. Militant? I don't even think that's a good name for John Kerry. But anyway, he has self-proclaimed something when it comes to the elimination of fossil fuels. He was a longtime senator here in the United States. Did you forget that? He ran for president, lost... And he was Secretary of State. He demanded the elimination of every coal plant anywhere in the world. That's a crazed idea that would usher in a new dark age, one that the filthy rich elitists like John Kerry won't be around to see. So, in yesterday's latest edition of Tucker on X, the former Fox News rating king offered some insight into the fanaticism of John Kerry, the prophet of doom's pursuit of the net zero agenda. No regard for the devastating consequences for all of civilization. Here's what he said. If there's a single tableau that kind of sums up the moment we're living in, it's a group 
of half-demented 80-year-olds sitting around yelling about things they don't really understand. And no, that's not Thanksgiving dinner with the grandparents. It's our federal government, an organization run by people who don't care about the future because they don't have one. (laughs) That makes sense. I've never thought of that. There may be nobody in the country who cares less about the future of the U.S. than John Kerry. He turns 80 next week. Kerry turned up at a conference in the Middle East the other day. He announced that his advanced age, he said, he's become a, quote, militant on the subject of coal-fired electricity plants. Now, this is an emissary of the fabled United States government, Tucker said. This is a former presidential candidate, a long-serving U.S. senator. What are people saying about what John Kerry just said? Well, in case you're wondering about the Biden administration's prestige and influence around the world, you should know that absolutely nobody cares what John Kerry thinks. Nobody even listens to him. Leaders in every adult country on the planet understand that what he's saying is nonsense if not totally insane. It is an unworkable concept because these are people with economies that need to tend to and people they need to feed. They don't have time for self-harm like John Kerry does. And Tucker pointed out the China and India deal that they're dependent on energy derived from coal, as do other countries. And that technologies now exist to minimize the impact on the environment from the burning of the vital energy source. That doesn't matter. John Kerry can't make any money with coal out there still being burned for energy at every country on the planet that does that. Tucker asked, does John Kerry even know this? Does he know any of this? Does he care? Probably not. Global warming may be global by definition, but according to John Kerry and everyone else in the Biden administration, only the United States causes global warming. Carlson then brought on Twitter Files co-author Michael Schellenberger, whose book Apocalypse Never offers an unsparing look at the modern-day climate cult religion that has evolved out of the environmentalist movement leading to the alternate reality of the global elite, which obviously despises the little people. Now, we know, me and you, we know that the pillars of civilization are energy, cheap energy, meritocracy, law and order, and free speech. Those are the cornerstones of civilization. They've got to be. Everybody has to deal with it. Even John Kerry. You can't maintain civilization without cheap energy. That's just common sense. The attack on cheap energy is an attack on our entire modern civilization. It should scare us all to death. We should be aware of it, and we should stay on top of it. Listen, this is, this is a strange thought process, but it's real. You fly every day or so on private jets to a climate conference to announce plans to make energy even more expensive for working people, except there's no bread for the bread and circuses folks. 
and the circus consists of rich people that all they do is celebrate their wealth, their morality, their goodness, and, of course, their superiority over folks like me, probably you too. These global elites, they used to pretend to care about us, but they don't even pretend anymore. They just fly on. I think it's fair to call it a death cult at this point, the environmentalist stuff, don't you? I mean, if we implement even a small portion of everything that they say we've got to do, we're going to die. If they do 10% of it, guess what? We're going to die. I don't know what else to call it other than an anti-human death death cult. Almost made a term up, death cult. It's not environmentalism. They say it is, but it's not. It's not. It's the snarling face of tyranny. And every day we hear about some more sycophants that have joined their club and they're out there beating the drum themselves. You want to point to some very obvious lunacy and disdain for people like you and me? Kamala Harris, vice president, she went to the same climate summit in Dubai. She works, of course, for President Biden and the American people. John Kerry was there. We just told you that. We gave you a little bit of some of the things that he said. He works for the president, too. Well, guess what? These two climate sycophants, the ones that are heavily up to their eyes and noses in this death cult, they flew on separate jets. They both left Washington, (laughs) D.C., and they went to Dubai. Uh, the jets that our military uses can fly nonstop from Washington, D.C. to Dubai. I haven't gone quite that far, but close. I didn't go to Dubai. I just went a little bit west of Dubai across that sea (laughs) to Qatar, Doha. (laughs) It's a long way. But I guarantee you, those jets burn a lot of gas and produce a whole lot of uh, bad things to our economy when they're flying that way. They could have cut all of that in half by just flying on the same plane. I just had a thought when I said that. Maybe, just maybe, Kerry's a racist, and he didn't want to be on the same jet as Kamala. Ooh. You can you can get in all kind of trouble there. Josh Hammer, have you heard of him? He's got a show, the Josh Hammer Show. He wrote an editorial exposing this hypocrisy. He's a research fellow at Edmund Burke Foundation. He said the UN's 28th Climate Change Conference melted down faster than an iceberg in the Arctic. While noting it was being held in Dubai of all places, given that it's the oil-rich United Arab Emirates. It's a collection of the world's rich and influential who've set out to save all of us, all of humanity, by getting rid of fossil fuels. But they keep selling it. And Kamala and John Kerry, they keep using it. Oil is the engine of this international powwow. 
<laughs> they don't even want to think about it or talk about it because they're doing stuff that's not for them. It's for us. And darn it, they're going to make us comply. That's their lifetime objective. These are people that have everything they could possibly need on the planet. They get it. You remember all those years John Kerry kept saying, I don't fly on private jets. I don't own a private jet. Well, he doesn't. He and his wife own a company that charters private jets to other people so they can put more pollution in the air. (laughs) But that's okay. They're better than you or I. You know, we have all of this stuff going on now. It's everybody's taking a side on everything. There's no place in the middle anymore. It doesn't matter if it's environment, if it's religion, if it's Israel or Hamas, if it's Russia or Ukraine. There's no place for any American to be right in the middle. They force you, the left, when they talk to you, oh my gosh, they're going to peg you whether they put you in the right spot or not. They're going to call you one thing or another. How and why can they do that? Because they're endowed. They're Democrats. They're on the left. And their cry is, we can't let Donald Trump get elected. He's going to destroy our democracy. He wants to be a dictator. I actually had somebody tell me that over the weekend. To my face. To my face. And I looked at him and I said, hey, I want you to think about this. You know, there's one person in government in the United States when we start talking about the idiocracy of what's going on in almost every type of world conflict, Ukraine, uh, Russia, what everybody thinks Red China is about to do, take on that neighbor to the south that is supposed to be free. And then, of course, Israel, Hamas, the, the Palestinian people. There's one person in the American government that's just got it right. You know who it is? This is going to blow your mind. John Fetterman. John Fetterman, Lurch from Pennsylvania, Democrat in the Senate, big guy. Leftists are becoming increasingly frustrated with their former hero, Senator John Fetterman, who condemned a mob of Jew-hating Hamas supporters. This is really good. I love this. He's broken with his party's rapidly anti-Semitic base, and he's expressing his vocal support. He's not whispering it behind the cameras. He's out front saying, I support Israel. And yesterday he called out the evil folks who showed up outside a Jewish-owned restaurant in Philadelphia and chanted genocide and a few other vile pejoratives. This was all captured on video. Went viral on social media. If you, Go look at it. Find it if you haven't already. You'll laugh. The mob stood outside of Goldie's on Sansom Street, a vile display of left-wing anti-Semitism in the city of Brother Love that Fetterman took to X, you know, previously known as Twitter, and he jumped all over it. 
they could be protesting Hamas. They could be protesting Hamas's systematic rape of Israeli women and girls or demanding the remaining hostages be immediately released. Instead, they target a Jewish restaurant in Philadelphia. It's pathetic and rank anti-Semitism. That was a tweet by Senator John Fetterman. Another Pennsylvania Democrat, Governor Josh Shapiro, he condemned pro-Palestinian protesters and their target of the establishment that's co-owned by Chef Michael Salamandov, a Jew. We saw a blatant act of anti-Semitism, not a peaceful protest. A restaurant was targeted and mobbed because of its owner's Jewish and Israeli position in life. This hate and bigotry bigotry is reminiscent of a dark time in our history, the governor said. So while they've cheered the comedy of errors of this Senate career, made excuses for him showing up to work dressed like he crawled out from behind a dumpster, siding with Israel, had left-wingers gnashing their teeth, and they rage posted their insults of Fetterman on the X platform. The owners of this restaurant provided material aid to the oppressors of Palestinians. You figure it out, Lurch. Get that APAC money, John. What a sellout you are. This is so sad. Hey, John, our tax dollars fund Israel, not Hamas. They're protesting where their hard-earned dollars are going and the ongoing genocide. Is your brain really still just putting... That was Nick Amato. Nick must have forgotten that three months ago, guess who sent a $450 million aid package, all cash, to the Palestinian people that are governed by Hamas? Joe Biden, $450 million. Those are our tax dollars, but forget about that. Those evil Jews, what in the world are they doing? lashing out at the people that said they would keep doing what they did overnight, October 7th, until every Jew is dead. And they're doing it every day, still trying to destroy all the Jews in Israel. Hamas I'm talking about. If it was you, if it was you and you lived just across the border out of Gaza over in Israel, and you had watched as these Hamas people slaughtered people in your own family, people you know, slaughtered them, and said, we're going to keep on doing this until you're all gone. Wouldn't you think it would be okay for you to figure out a way to save your life by getting rid of them? And if the other people around you in the world don't agree with you, then you'd get as far away from that part of where it's all happening as you possibly could. But these leftists, but we shouldn't be surprised throughout world history. The Jews have always been attacked. I guess the nice term for it is anti-Semitism. I don't know who came up with that, that label for what they're doing, It's nothing more than racism. 
And of course, the people that came up with the term anti-Semitism, they were too powerful and knowledgeable and wealthy and endowed. We can't even think about letting somebody feel like we're racist. Oh my gosh, that comes straight from the pits of hell. So why don't we feel the same way about the way we feel against the Jewish people, but we don't say it that way. So they they won't call us racist. We're anti-Semites. That's a little cleaner version. That's more palatable than the other stuff. One of the most hypocritical people on the planet is a Democrat. And he's a senator. And it's not Lurch. It's not John Fetterman. We're going to take a break on the other side of it. We're going to tell you who this is and what this person is doing. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Compare it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. I'm sitting here in the studio, and I'm just seconds away from sneezing. You know that feeling you get? Oh, my gosh, you wouldn't want to be in front of me either. I'm one of those people when I don't sneeze often, but when I do, it is monumental. (laughs) 
If, if you hear me take a brief pause, that's what it's about. Oh, my goodness. You didn't need to hear that, did you? <laughs> Chuck Schumer is who I was talking about going into the break. Chuck Schumer, Jewish guy. Jewish guy. And he's very outwardly, um, uh, he's quick to tell people that he is Jewish until he finds out that those people are not so positive about Jewish people, certainly not positive about Israel. So Schumer is the majority leader in the Senate. He's one of the people that's over every piece of legislation that is allowed to be considered about anything and everything that the Senate does consider in the way of legislation. Well, He's up there in the midst of all of this stumping going on, and it's always about money. And there's some legislation that is pending. If you remember correctly, when Mike Johnson was running to become the Speaker of the House, what he promised people was we were going to immediately consider, the House was, giving financial aid to the people of Israel that was not going to be tied together with a bill that was going to give a much greater amount of American tax dollars to Ukraine, simply because we've given Ukraine billions of dollars already. And the House did just that. They issued a single bill that would stand alone, give support, financial support, economic support, military support to Israel, while at the same time taking some action at the illegal flood of illegal immigrants coming across our southern border. The House passed it, even with Democrats that came over. Oh, as they like to say, anytime they get one Republican to support them on any bill they vote, even if it's just one, it's a bipartisan bill. Several Democrats cost the aisle to support the single Israeli southern border package. The Senate hadn't even taken it up. But Schumer got up on his pulpit yesterday and instead of me tell you what he, what he said, let me let you listen to it. America's national security is on the line around the world, in Europe, in the Mideast, in Indochina. Autocrats and radical extremists are waging war against democracy, against our values, against our way of life. Before the year is out, it's important for the Senate to pass an emergency national supplemental package providing aid to Ukraine, to Israel, humanitarian aid to innocent civilians in Gaza, and deterrence against adversaries in the Indo-Pacific. Both parties understand the consequences will be severe if we fail. Just this morning, OMB Director Shalanda Young warned congressional leaders that the abs- that absent action from Congress, funding to help Ukraine will run out by the end of the year. Alarmingly, process on the national security package has been on ice for weeks. Not because Republicans object, objected to Israel aid or aid to Ukraine or humanitarian aid to civilians, innocent civilians in Gaza or the Indo-Pacific, but because Republicans have injected partisan and extreme immigration measures into the debate. Let me repeat that. The holdup on the security supplemental has not been over Ukraine or Israel or the Indo-Pacific, but over Republican decision to inject hard right immigration measures into the debate. Democrats agree. Immigration should be debated and addressed. 
But if Republicans want to raise the issue of immigration right now, the onus is on them to present us with bipartisan ideas. Democrats have spent weeks, weeks, engaging in good faith on this issue. In fact, the President's supplemental proposal puts money directly towards vetting asylum claims, reducing court backlogs, stopping fentanyl, which is exactly what our Republican colleagues say they want. But instead of meeting us in the middle, Republicans have tripled down on extremist policies that seem dictated by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller, like indefinite detention of asylum seekers, sweeping powers to shut down the immigration system. Democrats want to be reasonable on immigration. We're willing to make concessions, but not what we will not keep going in circles if Republicans aren't interested in even meeting us halfway. Now, just because both sides can't reach an agreement does not mean that we can't get something done. But it must be broadly bipartisan. Neither side can dictate what can be in the bill, which is what many of our Republican colleagues seem to want. The two parties don't disagree seriously on Israel or Ukraine aid or humanitarian assistance to Gaza or the Indo-Pacific. We should therefore work towards passing these areas where we have bipartisan agreement. The world is watching what we do in Congress these coming weeks. You can bet Vladimir Putin is watching, Hamas is watching, Iran, President Xi, North Korea, all our adversaries. They're watching closely. If Congress fails to defend democracy in its hour of need, all because of border policies inspired by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller, the judgment of history will be harsh indeed. To me, what we just heard from the majority leader is a joke. He preached to everybody. We've got to get together. We've got to take care of our obligations around the world. And the problem is our compadres across the aisle, they're all in for one thing and one thing only. And that was created by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller, who worked for Trump during the Trump years. In other words, you've got to not listen to any conservative. Those Trump people, those MAGA revolutionaries, you know, like new House Speaker Mike Johnson and his ilk. And so we need to be bipartisan. We've got to be bipartisan and think of only what's best for the people we're going to help. And so here's how we do that. The Republicans have to put down anything that they think is good and right and join us over here because we're the Democrats. We know everything. We have in our hearts the best thing for every American. We want to give away tens of billions of more dollars to the people of Ukraine who haven't been asked to account for the $75 billion that we've already given them And we don't know where it went, but we just got to give them more money. Why? Because Volodymyr Zelensky says he needs it. And those Israelis, ah, we'll throw them a bone. And those people think that's okay. I am blown away by how they can think that Americans aren't owned to that. We've watched this happen year after year after year. Eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden It showed the world exactly 
how corrupt American politics can get. And then just turn a few pages and look at what we're watching right now. Steve Baker is joining us now. One of the things that just blows my mind about what Joe Biden has done, he went after the War Act. The War Act. Now, what would that be used for? My thoughts would be when we're in a war, now to be a war legally by our government, the government, the House of Representatives has sole authority to declare war, not a president. There's been no articles brought to Congress to consider to declare war against anybody on the earth. We're not in a war. I guess maybe the Biden administration feels we are because if you disagree with them, we're in a war. So we've got to spend money. And here's what we're going to do with it. We could go on and on and on down that road. But Steve, thank you for being here. We appreciate you coming every Tuesday. You're a staple that people come to this show specifically for. And maybe that's because you're better than me. Or maybe <laughs> maybe it's just they like you more than me. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> only, good, well, wait. only good people come well, to the show. <laughs> I was going to say, which, which part of that were you joking about? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. I no. know you've been, uh, as you always are, you've been all across the nation doing good things. I want to say thank you for being out there and doing all the investigation stuff that you do, like nobody I know can do. You get access to people, and I mean really, really important people. I mean, you had Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, on the phone last week, and you speak daily to some of these U.S. senators. You know, I've got a few members of the House of Representatives and one or two uh, low-level staffers, <laughs> and you go right to the top. I don't know if you know things about these politicians, but they give you pretty uh, good information. And I want to thank you for sharing that with us here at TNN Live. Dan, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And it's even more of a pleasure today because I'm actually at home. I uh, pulled into my driveway yesterday afternoon, about 4.30 in the afternoon, and then just collapsed. <laughs> I've been on the road for over two weeks on this particular uh, trip, and it was all the, you know, it was, it was the long driving uh, of, on this particular trip. It was a lot of driving because it wasn't, uh, I wasn't stationed in one place for a, uh, an extended period of time. I wasn't either in Dallas for four weeks or D.C. for two weeks. I was going from one place to the other, I did have the opportunity and was blessed to be able to spend Thanksgiving with my sister in the Pensacola area, as we talked about last week. But then, um, it was, you know, Florida is a long, long state, especially, especially when you have to traverse it two or three times up and down, uh, over the course of a week for meetings and appointments and, uh, different things that I was working on down there. So it was, uh, it was just a lot of driving. And then of course you have to, you have to get home from South Florida as well. So, yeah, yeah. and of course I like, I like, I like to drive. I prefer to drive, uh, over flying and, um, and so it's my choice and happy to do it. You and I, we communicated early this morning of the topics we're going to talk about today. And of course, if you have any updates to give us on any of the stuff that you've been working on that we've been kept a part of for these past months, I want you to let us know that. You didn't respond about that, but if there is something, 
I want you just to break in and what it's appropriate and let's go with it. But I told you I wanted to start talking and who got me going about this really shocked me. It was Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was speaking virtually at this climate, I don't know what what you even call it, a a meeting uh, where everybody compared who had the most or whatever it was, but it was in Dubai. And uh, she went postal on how and why people are not supporting women. Specifically, this is on top of the fact all the details begin to be corroborated about the weaponization of rape that Hamas has been, and we found out overnight it wasn't only on October 7th that they were raping Israeli women and doing much worse. They're continuing with that practice, raping women they still are holding as hostages. Now, most of us, I know you and I, we cringe when we even think about that. But they, being jihadists, they have weaponized it and apparently have been teaching it and practicing it for some time. Now, I laid that out as a foundation for this segment. But here's the thing that this launches here domestically in the United States on the topic. Where are all the leftist women who have been for decades self-proclaimed defenders of the rights of women? Where are they? Well, Dan, if you can't define what a woman is, why <laughs> oh, no. claim you're not going there to begin with? You're not going there. I mean, you? You, I mean, you have to start there because that is the mindset that we're trying to understand. And if you can't understand that mindset, you can't understand the problem. And frankly, it is it is not an understandable concept. Uh, it is a made up concept. It is it is um, it, it, it's a, some sort of brain disease that these progressives have. Uh, to the point where you have someone like uh, this representative Pramila Jayapal, who <laughs> in her interview the other night on CNN, I mean, when a CNN host has to call you down because you are almost in your words, legitimizing Hamas's use of rape as a legitimate weapon of war in their conflict in their, um, uh, in working against the occupants, occupation and the colonization of the Israelis, uh, and of the Palestinian people and the Palestinian state, et cetera, et cetera. And, and of course now as a result of these comments, uh, and, and, and essentially what representative, um, Jayapal had, had, had done was use the, um, they, they use their inside, you know, voice outside. Yes. You know what I mean? She, oh, yeah. she said the, uns, the, the words she wasn't supposed to speak. She spoke them publicly. And so now the progressive caucus is having to scramble. Now you wouldn't think that anybody that we have elected to a position of authority, power, responsibility at the level of Congress, whether we're talking about the house of representatives or we're talking about the Senate, we're only talking about 535 people. These are supposed to be the best and the brightest and those who are carrying the torch for us. They are our representatives. We elect them, send them there to represent us and our voice. And they're supposed to be the best of us. And you would not think that the progressive caucus would have to actually go through 
the the process of figuring out how to draft a statement of uh, condemnation of rape as a weapon of war. What what why why do we even need to do that? Well, it's because they have unilaterally taken total control of any conversation about biological sex and anything to do with it. And of course, rape involves biological stuff between a man and a victim, a woman. (laughs) So when you take control of the narrative or you tell everybody you're responsible for it and they've got to just listen to you and your definition, even the progressives in this government can't come forward with any positive spin that they could put on that and they don't know what to say. They don't want to come out. You've got Hillary Clinton came out yesterday and just blasted everybody that hasn't taken up and attacked verbally at least Hamas for their weaponization of rape in war. Who would think that we should even have to have or would have a conversation about that very thing? Well, let's, I don't want to take everybody through a historical journey of the weaponization of rape, uh, particularly when we're talking about in war, because it has been a part of war for thousands of years. That's that's where the term rape and pillage comes from. And it doesn't matter how many thousands of years we go back and we don't look and we look at whatever societies that, that you want to analyze and their use of that is that invariably the conquerors, whether it was for a battle, single battle over a single village, a town, a community, or an entire country, that was the approved aftermath by uh, both their political and, and military leaders. And this is, this is, this is, you know, we, we kind of have to speak frankly a little bit, as I said, but rape is not only just been a byproduct of war, uh, but it's actually been used as a deliberate military strategy for thousands of years. It's always been used, unfortunately, we have to be honest. In some cases, it's always been used as a reward for those lonely soldiers who are out there literally risking their lives every day, don't even know if they're ever going to come home. That's why they're allowed to, quote unquote, rape and pillage. And this has even happened among societies who wouldn't tolerate rape at home and who, for it was actually illegal on the battlefield. Some of those commanders would turn their backs um, on the activity uh, after the battlefield was, or the, after the battle was won. And, and then it's not just it's not just as a reward to the the soldiers, but you can look as recently as in the the Bosnian Serbian conflict in the early nineties. They actually use the Serbians actually use systematic rape as part of their own strategy of ethnic cleansing, because they would purposefully rape, gang rape as many Bosnian women as possible for the purpose of impregnating them so that they would have to get birth to a Serbian baby and then eventually supplant their culture and their genetic heritage for those of the Serbians. I mean, so this was, a, and this was systematic and organized and planned uh, at that level. And, and I, I, it was kind of interesting that you brought this up to me this morning because just yesterday I finished a book, the, the new book by uh, Michael Malice. And it's called The White Pill. And, and it's a, um, 
it's a romp through the history of the Soviet Union. And he, of course, portrays the Soviet Union as the most brutal uh, prison camp that's ever existed on the planet. And I, I won't get into all the details of that, but let me just jump straight to this is how powerful rape is. And when I say this, it's, it's not just a violent act against women or men because they, they're raping men as well over there. And, and so when this happens, it's almost a psychological reset that takes place in, in these people's brains. And it is very difficult to recover from. I, I have no doubt with the size of your audience that we're not speaking right now, you and I, Dan, to individuals, mostly women on this, uh, uh, that are listening to us right now who have been through a brutal rape and they know what happens to them psychologically. But in, in this book uh, by Michael Malice, the white pill, he tells the story at one point of the purges that Stalin was putting his people and his leadership through. And, and essentially what was happening, and I'll, I'll go through this as quickly as I can, is that during those purges, they would exact confessions from even their, 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 their most loyal um, Soviet leaders, uh, the people even closest to Stalin. Uh, when Stalin had enough of them, had used them, uh, or he began to suspect them for not being as loyal as he as they pretended to be or otherwise were, then he would um, send them to uh, torture rooms, uh, have them arrested, send them to torture rooms to exact any number of confessions out of them. Now it was, they were usually made up confessions, but then they could roll them out in front of the, the Soviet people and say, this person confessed to being this and doing this and this disloyalty and committing this crime. And then they would of course execute or send them off to the gulags. And so this particular individual, uh, his, uh, oh, his name was, um, uh, Oh, it's Stanislaw, uh, Cure, uh, Stanislaus Kirill, and he was a Stalin loyalist. He was uh, first secretary of the Communist Party of Ukraine. He was a deputy premier of the Soviet Union. He was even a member of the Politburo in the Soviet Union. And eventually, as happened with most people who were that close to Stalin, it was eventually his turn to be accused of something. And so Stalin, to take him out and take him down, actually demanded a confession from him of being a Polish spy. And, and that was because um, Kirill was born in Poland. Well, this guy was a tough old bird, and, and you can read about this in the history books, but they could not break him. They, they performed every imaginable and unspeakable torture technique on this guy. I'm not even going to put this on your listeners today, what they did to him, and he would not break. He couldn't, they could not break him. And, 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 and so Stalin brought in his number one torture guy. And this guy basically said, we can break anybody. And, and of course they usually did, but they couldn't break um, a courier until they did one thing. They brought in his 16 year old daughter and they gang raped her in front of him. And he cracked immediately. I guess so. He could handle, he could handle everything else, but that was a, weaponization tool that they knew that this torturer knew if I can't break him physically, I can't harm him, hurt him, mutilate him enough. I know how to crack him. And they did. And of course he confessed to being a Polish spy, which he wasn't. And, uh, he and his wife were then sentenced to, to death the very uh, same day and, and executed by, uh, 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 
uh, gunfire that very same day. But that's how powerful that is. And these, I'm just, I'm sorry, but I, I, I have no other way to say it because you've already, you've already broke this, uh, <laughs> you've already opened this up. They're teaching this technique. They're teaching this not only in their private conversations, but they're teaching this in their mosques. We have actually heard actual Palestinian women talking about this. Now, where, where are the Palestinian women learning that this is a justifiable, completely valid technique to be used against their enemies, particularly their Jewish enemy, in and on the battlefield, and in and after capture of hostages for their own husband. This is a Palestinian woman talking about her husband and how proud she would be for her husband to be raping Jewish women. Let me tell you where it's coming from. The same place that we have watched on national television, comic strips, the old comics that we watched on Saturday mornings. I've seen three of those that were put together by Palestinians for kids, like four to seven or eight years old. And mom and dad takes them in there, and they're taught by these comic and the characters on these comics that Jewish people don't deserve to be alive. And it teaches these babies not only that it's okay if you kill a Jew, but systematically teaches them through comics how to do it. It's the same thing with that young man. I watched this very early on after the first October 7th videos came out. And this guy broke into a house. A family had a safe room. He was with a couple of other guys. They couldn't break down the door to the safe room. So his two fellow guys, Hamas members, they left to go try to break in another place. And he got the door open. Husband, father, two children, and he shot and killed them all. This guy looked like he was 17, 18 years old. And the first thing he did was he grabbed his phone, and he was wearing, uh, I guess, a vest camera, so you saw all of what he did. But he called home. His mother answered the phone, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Mom, I just shot and killed my first Jews. I need you to get dad on the phone so I can tell him about it. And his dad was button-busting proud. So what it means to me, Steve, is pretty much human beings are all products of their environments. They do and think and act on things they believe are true. And they have been conditioned to believe this throughout their lives. The rest of us in the free world, we just assume everybody on the planet are free thinkers like us, and everybody on the planet gets exposed to the same kind of stuff. But what we're finding out is the United States of America is no longer that shining beacon on the hill that everybody on earth looks longingly at us, way up on that hill, wishing they could adopt the principles that we have in our government, have in our social structure, and have in our 
interactions with fellow citizens of the world. And it's just not true. I think a lot well, of I think yeah. a lot I think a lot of what we're seeing going on in, in this vein over there, it's meant for us to see. It's to teach us that we're not the big guy on the hill anymore, even if we might still be. They're instilling fear in millions of Americans. It's the height of intellectual dishonesty and and to be perfectly honest this is part of the hubris of progressivism is to think that the human animal the human being the that human nature has evolved past what it was and, and what stalin did and what hitler did and what mao has done and and we could we could stay here all day listing off those individuals and those atrocities but the point being is is that this spirit this evil it still remains on this planet because it hasn't it hasn't been purged from us yet and as a result of that we are going to continue in conflict with those types of mindsets be they um atheist as they were with the uh bolsheviks and lenin and stalin or be they um theocratic as they are with these muslim uh, Islamic factions. And I, unfortunately, I, and I, I don't see this as changing because after 9-11, you know, we all became somewhat of um, those of us may, who may not have studied it as closely. I'd never read the Quran until after 9-11, and I did after that. I felt like it was necessary to have in my my, my quiver. <laughs> and and it was I wasn't reading the Quran because it was something I was looking for as a new guidebook. It was, I was looking for information. It was something to understand the mindset of what we were dealing with internationally and as a, a threat against our way of life and against our own people. And I'm seeing now and understanding better that it is not necessarily a threat of um, any particular um political ideal, communism, fascism, or religious ideal as, a, as a, an Islamist might have, but it is part and parcel all of the same spirit. And that, of course, you and I know what that spirit is. And it doesn't matter to the source of that spirit um, how it manifests and through what group of people it manifests and through what ideas it might manifest religious or otherwise, but this is not going away. And no, what we are seeing, no. and especially in the last 20 years is that it is accelerating in its, um, uh, uh, aggression. It's selling, accelerating in its growth. It's accelerating in its permutation of other societies, particularly in the West. And it's becoming, I mean, we have, we have now people, with this mindset elected to Congress. They're part of that 535 people that I spoke of when we first uh, began this um, conversation today. We have them as our representatives now. And back in their hometowns, we have them as mayors. We have them as the mayor of one of the largest cities in the world, in London, England. And this is a... 
Uh, there's just no other way to say it. It's a cancer that is now metastasizing yeah. and it's spreading throughout Western culture. And it is, of course, obviously, as we know, it is also coming across our southern border. As yes, we see is. this yeah. in the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of military age young men who are coming across the border. And as they're coming through, we have independent investigative journalists standing down there on the border with their cameras, asking them what countries they're coming from. And if it's not China, it's one of the uh, African or Middle Eastern Muslim states. And, and of course, they're coming in from, you know, all over the world. But it's amazing how many will say that what what country I am coming from, whether it's Syria or whether it's uh, um uh, Lebanon or, or, or what this, the point is, is you, you know, yeah. you know what the point I'm making is that, is that we have, I think right now, and this is what concerns me the most. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I actually, I actually tweeted this out yesterday and, and I, you know, I, there's that new, a new video of thousands of Chinese military age young men that was just captured recently by another independent journalists down at the border and they're all being processed. Most of them were Chinese uh, nationals and they were coming illegally into uh, the border of California from Mexico. And um, they're, they're being processed by the border agents and by the soldiers down at the border. I mean, these, these are not being turned away. They're actually going through their process of becoming quote unquote refugees here into this country. And as this is happening, and as I was watching this video, I tweeted out and I said, nothing to see here, just the Biden administration signing our national death warrant. Yeah. I spent 10 days in Africa earlier this year. I'm part of a group down there that's working on infrastructure projects. Uh, Elon Musk is part of the group that, that I'm with. There are six of us and they broke it on me. I never heard about it, never thought about it for the last decade the Chinese Communist Party is forcing and sending thousands of Chinese people that have been kicked, uh, they've been convicted of crimes there, and they're sending them to Africa, and they can never go back. These are the men. They're sending them there to marry African women and to produce Chinese babies in the long term, the hope of the Chinese government. Whoa. Whoa. You there? Not sure. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> we heard, we had a roar all of a sudden. But anyway, the hope of the Chinese government, the plan is to create generations of Chinese people that will be self-aligned because of their biological roots, self-aligned with Mother China. Mm. And why would... Sounds like, sounds like something I mentioned just a moment ago. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing that's happening there. Listen... Before we get away from this topic, a short, brief conversation about your thoughts of the Me Too movement, the 70s, you know, the bra burners, the uh, equal rights folks, the equal rights amendment. Um, where are all those people that have worked so hard and been very positive and have sustained and achieved some great rewards for equality for women in the United States in social circles, in labor circles, in uh, all kinds of areas that are way different than they were 30 or 40 years ago. 
I'm not hearing anybody talk about women as it pertains to what's happening to women in that part of the world, Israel, the Middle East, Hamas, Gaza, all of those circles over there. I don't hear anybody coming out until Hillary Clinton, of all people, came out, and she just blessed everybody out for not going postal on what's happening regarding specifically the militant raping of women over there. But I thought that was what they championed for 30 years and achieved to some degree. It's still not where they want it to be, and it probably should be. But nevertheless, they've gone stone cold. Well, they are they are as selective in their prosecution of those ideas as they are uh, in in our our courtrooms right now, as we're seeing. You can you can be a misdemeanor defendant on January sixth and have a an FBI SWAT raid of twenty or thirty agents and law enforcement show up at your house, putting the red dots from their rifles on your children's foreheads as they're doing so, and and putting you in cuffs and hauling you away, and Yet, you can be somebody who burned down a police station or threw Molotov cocktails into a car or done even much worse in your protests of the Trump inauguration on January 20th of 2017 or all of the violence that took place in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. You can do incredible violence in those scenarios and they will, if they arrest you at all, they have you back out on the street the next morning and then they drop and dismiss your case going forward. And so, so this is a selective prosecution when it comes to the concept of rape as well, because if you are a uh, conservative Supreme court nominee or somebody nominated by president Trump, then all of a sudden women come out of your past from 30, 40 plus years ago who claimed that you raped them in high school or in a college party or something of that nature, although you never reported it back then. And so once again, the Me Too movement is as selective as what we're seeing in the courts today as it relates to uh, protest violence. It just depends upon what side you're on, whether they're going to um, uh, move forward. It, it's it's Me Too sometimes, and then sometimes it's, uh, it's just cover my eyes and cover my ears and uh, and cover my mouth and not speak up about the obvious atrocities that are happening right now. We're not even talking about this is, this is, and it's, it's as stark as this, Dan is they will come out of the woodwork to take down a Supreme court nominee for something <laughs> he may or may not have done 40 years ago Yeah, and was unreported then as a kid at a party, uh, you know, uh, you know, it is college, but something that is happening right now in real time captured. I mean, Dan, I mean, I don't know how many of these videos that you have uh, subjected yourself to. And I, I don't want to get into the kind of, I, yeah, I don't get I, into the kind of detail. I have seen things that I thought never would happen. And certainly that I would never see before and hope I never see again. I cannot believe yes. the barbarism that has been foisted, especially on women in Israel. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't even want to describe I what we've seen in yeah. these videos on this on this program. But 
the point being is, is that it's happening now in real time. And because of the pervasiveness of the technology of cameras, uh, everyone has a camera in their pocket. Everyone has a high definition yeah, camera yeah. in their pockets now. Yeah. And this, and we're and, and in this age of information, instantly we can see these images broadcast and, and uploaded and sent out to the entire world. And of course, obviously you have uh, Facebook and some of the other social media companies that will take these images down. But the point being is, is if you know where to look, they're still there and you can yeah. still find them yeah. and you can see this barbarism and it's happening in real time. It's not, it's not a specter from 40 years ago. It's now it's real. It's being broadcast sometimes live and and we're able to access this information. And yes, where are they? Where are the me tooers? Where are the feminists in this situation? And it, it, it is exactly what we were talking about before. There is a, you can, you can call it what you want to. You can call it a mental disease or you can call it a spiritual darkness issue. It could be both. The point being is, is that they have to deliberately, um, they have to deliberately fall to the side of deceit, deception, lies, even if they're not talking about it at all. That is a lie. We know that. We know that being silenced about this, uh, about this evil is evil itself. And, and that is what we're up against. And so you can, as you put all of these pieces of the puzzle, the information puzzle, the political puzzle, um, the sociological puzzle together, the, the one thing that we know is that the mainstream media is going to march in lockstep. You get a you get a moment of pushback, like what ha- what happened with this congresswoman from a, a CNN anchor, um, and so you get a moment of push like that back from that because she, as I said, that this this congresswoman she stepped off of the um, script. Yeah, she, she did said the quiet part out loud, but that's what they're thinking. And but as you put these together, they're going to figure out a way of calming that down. They're going to massage it. They're going to make it go away. It's going to put it back into the background. But this is where it's going to stay for a little bit while longer until it, it uh, raises its ugly head again publicly. But when we, as I said, as we're putting these pieces of the puzzle together and understand the plan and understand how they're moving towards this, you have to, you have to, you and I have joked about it here in the last few weeks uh, since this um, uh, started in Israel. But when you see people marching down the street, uh, holding up, you know, LGBTQ for Palestine, or uh, I love uh, Alex Stein, the comedian. He he started a whole line of uh, T-shirts called "Homos for Hamas," and and that was, you know, <laughs> that's and, funny. <laughs> and he wore he wore his he wore his "Homos uh, for Hamas" T-shirt and ball cap to one of these parades oh where and, and joined in with the LGBTQ <laughs> people. Now he's not, you know, he's a, he's a conservative comedian yeah. and, and he wore that obviously demonstrating the absurd by being absurd himself. And then of course he's interviewing, he's asking questions to people on the street. And you, you know, he said, you know, that the, where this ultimately leads, if, sure. you, if yeah. you go to a, a party in, in Gaza, they're going to invite you to a rooftop, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. I've, uh, I've actually, I've actually seen, the results of those rooftop parties for gay men. It's not, it's not pretty. Yeah. 
Hey, listen. This is this is go, the, the yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, just finish up here. The the you know this is we're we're entering a situation here where there's an unholy alliance between you have the you have the leftist feminists, you have the leftist LGBTQ factions, you have the um, the, the leftist um, uh, aligned. Uh, factions from the um, uh, Muslim faith uh, that are aligning politically right now. It is a enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Yeah. Uh, and it's not going to work out well for a couple of those factions when the other side wins. Yes. Because I, let's just be, let's just be honest. Let's, let's say that the neo-communists win and they basically rise to power. They implement the great reset and they implement global um, uh, collectivism and global communism. And they basically reinvent the Soviet union for the entire planet. If that happens, there's one thing that communists don't put up with. They don't put up with gay people and they never liked Jews and they never liked anybody else other than themselves. And so there's going to be purges yet again, just as I was talking about earlier. And then if the Muslims at 1.8 billion on the planet right now, if they are successful in their long-term ideals of raising the flag, their, their, the Islamic flag over every capital on this planet and they take over, it's not going to go well for the LGBTQ people. And so Asking them to wake up and demonstrate any level of intellectual honesty right now is uh, is probably not going to happen. But that is the realities of where we're headed eventually if either of those factions uh, gain global control. And what we've said many, many times as we were younger and growing and learning more, it is what it is. And you can't change that. People are going to do what they've been conditioned, most of them for their entire lives, to do and to be. Hey, we were going to talk about the latest in the impeachment inquiry of President Biden. Let's do this. Let's put it off a week till you can come back because it's changing. As we've been on the air, there's something (laughs) else that has been revealed. And as you know, I have a pipeline into one congressman uh, (laughs) that's kind of in a powerful position, Congressman Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and I'm getting stuff kind of in real time. There's going to be a lot of big things that happen between now and next week. So let's let's table that. As we finish up our segment today, we haven't even talked about your investigative things, where we stand, and is something that you have very important that you want us to know about or that you can prepare us for in upcoming days and weeks. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me just give you a couple of uh, quick Hence clues and uh, and teasers. I like this. Um, I like this when you do as, that. As you, <laughs> as, as you as you mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity um, a couple of weeks ago to speak to Governor DeSantis. I spoke to both Governor DeSantis and presidential candidate DeSantis. Uh, I hope that you can uh, differentiate with the way I'm speaking right now about that. It's the same, it's the same human being, but um, at one point when I was speaking to the governor, I didn't feel like I was getting where I needed to get. I said, I said, um, I said, governor, do you mind if I speak to presidential candidate DeSantis right now? He chuckled and said, sure, go ahead. And then I was able to speak to him on the political side as opposed to the legal side. And, and so, um, to continue down that path, it, it wasn't because of my my um, 
my conversation with uh, the governor, but because I already had a set up meeting with the uh, Florida Attorney General's office, which happened since you and I've been on the air, uh, that happened the day after. And so um, I can't get into the details of that. I actually was asked not to, um, and not because there's something to hide, but because of something that we're working on together. And this is, of course, obviously on the benefit for the benefit of January 6 um, defendants and detainees and those who have been convicted and right down the entire uh, legal pipeline. And so I've been asked to hold uh, hold my uh, fire uh, <laughs> publicly until we work through a few things here. And I can say that they're all very positive. That's a tease. That's, that's, that is literally the extent of what I can say about that. And then in terms of other investigations that we're working on uh, with the Blaze Media, we have uh, more parts of the Capitol Police story that are coming. Uh, there is, as you know, um, Speaker Johnson promised to release all this video. Uh, but I will tell you that according to a, a senior congressional aide, working directly uh, with uh, these um, uh, legislators that they are having internal struggles and battles like you can't believe with not only at the, the, the warring factions uh, between the left and the right up there, uh, between the House and the Senate, but also with the Capitol Police, Capitol Police Board in terms of getting the permissions and the authorization to release these. Could, could Johnson just ad hoc, because they have them, I will tell you this, Congress has these videos. Could he direct a uh, senior aide to just upload them tonight? Um, maybe, uh, but I don't know what the I don't know myself what the political ramifications would be of him doing so. And so there's a lot of moving parts up there as it relates to these January six videos that they're dealing with. And um, I can tell you that I will be back up there. Uh, Next week, I will be back up there again in the video room uh, in one of the congressional uh, buildings reviewing January 6th video again. And we have a couple of brand new leads. And this is the teaser part for you to look at. Let me just tell it. I'm, I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. It's still a tease, but it gives you a little, gives your listeners something to, to wait for. On Capitol Police Radio, January 6th, there was a moment before Ashley Babbitt was shot where there actually two moments uh, where there was a, a reported gunfire over Capitol Police radio. The first one was quickly and easily disproved and it was a false alarm. The second one was more specific and that it happened in inside the house chamber. Whoa. Okay. And this was reported on Capitol Police radio and then only a couple of minutes later, the shot was fired from Lieutenant Michael Byrd that killed Ashley Babbitt. And that became the biggest story because the shot that is allegedly fired a couple of minutes prior inside the House chamber has never been followed up on by either mainstream media, congressional investigators, Capitol Police. There's been no report of it whatsoever. But I have interviewed a witness to the event. Here's something that on that topic, let me ask you this question. The next day after this happened, I was sent a video of Ashley Babbitt coming down that, that hallway, breaking through a door. And I saw the Capitol police policeman 
that shot her, I saw the actual video of it happening, shot her on the left side of the back of her neck. Is that not the official shooting and killing of Ashley Babbitt that you're talking about? No. Whoa. I can't wait for this. <laughs> We're, uh, so that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at next week. And, of course, our friends in Langley now know that that's what I'm going to be looking at. So pray for me that I... <laughs> yes, I, uh, I looked I earlier. Make, I make it to, the, the, hey, tell them hello. They're listening right now. <laughs> they always are. Uh, I'd like to also say hello to uh, Agent Noyes and Agent Doss. Uh, my personal, um, <laughs> Your very own FBI folks. <laughs> my very own detail. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, the, here, here's the thing, Dan, is, is that um, I... I, I don't think I can poke the bear any more than I have, but uh, um, this is this is just another one of those things that, and, I, and I, all I can say right now is this is an alleged story, but there is a report. We heard it with our own ears. Those of us who have heard the Capitol Police radio comms, we heard the report of a of a, another shot fired prior, just a couple of minutes prior to when Ashley Babbitt was shot. And uh, that it would, took place inside the house chamber. And on Sunday, I spoke to an alleged witness of the alleged event, of the <laughs> alleged shot. And, we we uh, have to be careful <laughs> these days. Yeah. We always have to use yeah. that word, alleged, alleged. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, one thing about your trip up there, if, uh, if, you, if you have interest and you need some access, and you know what day or days you would be available next week, if you'll give me that that time, I can probably get a conversation put together for you to meet with the House Speaker. Well, it, it would be great to see him again, especially in his new capacity, because I have some things to share with him that I did not have to share with him back in May of uh, this year when I met him before he was who he is now. And I would think that uh, he needs to hear what I have to say. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll shoot you a note and tell you when I'm free. We communicate pretty regularly. I, I sent him a text on Friday about 11.15 after the show, and five minutes later I got a response. So he at least will look and see. He's very, as you can imagine, he's covered up. He, uh, oh, it, I, I don't, I we don't even need to tell you. I know how crazy his life is right now. And, of course, he's under attack. James Carville, our Louisiana buddy, oh. James Carville, <laughs> just verbally destroyed Mike, as a matter of fact. Mike commented about that to me. Uh, and it wasn't just about Mike. It was about all of us evil Christians, you know. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're worse, that, that we're worse, we're worse than yeah. Al-Qaeda, is what Carville yeah. said. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that attack from Carville was so... Completely <laughs> off the rails. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he, he's always been a nut, and yeah. and he he's been such a nut that he's fun to watch, especially being the you know Louisiana character that he is. He's he's you know he's the the equal and opposite of a you know Senator Kennedy or you know yeah. one of those other colorful Louisiana guys. But good lord, was he off the mark on that one? How in the heck did he get Mary Madeline, who is a wonderful person and a very conservative woman, a leader? during the Clinton years in DC herself. How can you put those two people together? I can't figure that out. And they're still married. I can't figure that out for sure. Yeah. 
buddy. Well, thank my, you. My closest, my closest friend just ta- just spoke to Mary Madeline a couple of days ago. He actually forwarded me the email that he and she exchanged. He's known her for years. Yeah. And, uh, and he and I were speaking about that in reference, uh, to the Carvel statements against Mike Jordan. I mean, Johnson. And uh, we were, <laughs> we, we can, we can't figure it out either. Well, you know she loves him, and you know he's okay with that because she long time ago named him Serpent Head because of the way he looks. <laughs> and he looks like a snake, and he acts like a snake. Anyway, oh, hey, listen, thank you for sharing the time with us today. This is an important time for all of us to get our arms around the understanding of what really is going on, and not just in our own lives, but as it pertains to those around us that are shaping facets of the world that we're all living in and part of. And here's one thing I want to caution everybody with. When when you hear stories like you hear when Steve comes here and things that we report on, don't resort to fear because you'll never make a good decision in your life if you base it totally on fear. It will destroy pretty much every area of confidence that you've ever had because then you second-guess everything. And that's dangerous. And oh, by the way, why don't you pray for vision every day? That's a good thing to ask for, to be able to discern, discern the truths and the negative lies and stuff that are floating around your world and mine all over the place. I can only imagine the kind of stuff that you deal with, Steve. Thank you for being here. And thanks for bringing things to us like you do. You're a treasure, buddy. And I appreciate you. Thank you, Dan. You too, brother. Have a great one. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you're an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrap deep deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Our puppy's okay. Is a shooting star okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh. Okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride. Okay? Okay. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's... Okay! Okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Like a little John. Oh, come. I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! 
so many truths to us and he he makes things clearer that he talks about because of the environment which he runs in and he lives in every day i'm thankful for the doors that he has opened to us to the doors that have been opened to him it's really good to be able to sink your teeth into something you're told is true and find out that it really is true i kind of like that uh one thing we were going to speak about We changed in the middle of the stream, and that was about the latest on the Hunter, Joe Biden, Biden family syndicate money, money, money thing that continues to evolve every day. It seems like every day now we hear more damning evidence. Constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley, you've heard him on this show numerous times. He weighed in on a new finding by House Oversight Committee Chairman Comer about the Biden bank records. Bank records show... The bank records show, this is not hearsay, records show that Hunter's company, Owasco, transferred money to Joe Biden, now President Biden, back in 2018. Comer released the information yesterday that Turley said could be the next step in what's needed for a formal impeachment inquiry. Here's what he said. Today, the Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, Owasco, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. Now, this is coming from the records. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account, but an account for his corporation that received payments directly from China and other shady corners of the world. Though many in the left leaning media jumped all over to clarify, contest, and debunk this information. Constitutional attorney Turley, he discussed the information on Fox News America reports. Here's what he said. When I testified in the first Biden impeachment hearing, I said that there was ample evidence then to justify an impeachment inquiry and that a formal vote should be held at that time. I can't imagine, Turley said, how anyone would look at this evidence and not believe that a formal inquiry should begin. There's been a litany of lies that have come out of the Biden family and the White House. This is Turley still talking. The president denied knowing about any of these business arrangements. Even Hunter said that wasn't true. We now know he called in numerous times to talk with clients. He had meetings, photographs with these clients. And now we see joint accounts where money is moving to Joe Biden. We even have Joe Biden's house being listed for some of these payments by Hunter. It's rather daunting to imagine what you need, according to the Democrats, Turley said. So I think the moment of truth has arrived. Democrats have either got to show that they stand against corruption and to prove an inquiry, or they have to take ownership of this whole thing. Because influence peddling is the favorite form of corruption in Washington. But none of us have seen the likes of this. And I'm going to end this segment in a second. Got a great Christmas song that you can kind of sing along with as we finish the show up. But here's something that would wipe this slate, this 
Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, evil taking money from China and these other nasty companies could make it all go away. If none of this stuff is true, why don't they just come out and give us the evidence, and they certainly have it, that proves all that money that came in, where did it go? What did it go to those places for? That's all somewhere in paper because banks were a part of it. Yeah, they do have some of the bank records, but not all of them. Not all of them. Because I guarantee you, listen to this. I know how what I'm about to tell you works. These folks have overseas bank accounts that unless it comes directly from those overseas accounts into Biden Corporation personal accounts in the U.S., these banks don't flag them because it doesn't necessarily come through there. And by the way, we're all supposed to report every year the details of any foreign money we have in any foreign bank account. Just saying. (laughs) Hey, listen, guys, great day. Enjoyed having you. Enjoyed having Steve Baker. And I want you to have a good holiday season, a Merry Christmas. And so let's just enjoy one more Christmas song today, okay? Hang all the mistletoe I'm gonna get to know you better This Christmas And as we trim the tree How much fun it's gonna be together well This Christmas The fireside is blazing bright We're caroling the night and this Christmas will be a very special Christmas for me presents and cards are here My world is filled with cheer And you And as I look around Your eyes outshine the town They do The fireside is blazing bright We're caroling the night and this Christmas will be a very special Christmas for me if you're with me
side is blazing bright We're caroling through the night Yeah, And this Christmas will be A really special Christmas for me Won't you squeeze? 